Today we're going to do something just a little different. Um, uh, back in December, or uh, beginning of December, December 1st, we started a, an ongoing series called Generation Essentials. And we've packaged together nine things that we believe that you need to uh, incorporate in your life to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And they kind of go on a progression. And so uh, back on December 1st, we started this series. And what we're going to do, uh, we, we kind of do our teaching, Sunday morning teaching in series. So we just finished the Be Aware series. And next week, we start a brand new series called NUMA, which I'm really excited about. So a series that I've wanted to do for just a couple of years here at Generation Church. And I feel like the timing is right to do it right now. But um, in between series, we're going to keep going back to what we call this Generation Essentials. Um, and so today is part two of the Generation Essentials. If you haven't had a chance or you weren't here December 1st, a lot of you are away because it was like Thanksgiving time, um, then I would encourage you to go back and listen to uh, the sermon from December 1st. It was called uh, Generation Essentials, Why We Gather. And it was all about actually why we actually come to church and gather together as church and you know, why we like hang out together and do things like that together. And so that was the very first element that we believed that being a disciple of Jesus Christ was, was that as soon as you decide to become a follower of Jesus, then you should gather with other believers, other followers of Jesus and gather together. You can't do this life alone. You gather together. So after you've kind of got that and you realize, yeah, we must gather together, then the second thing that, that as a disciple that you should start to experience, start to learn, start, start to do in your life is to be able to worship God, to, to be a worshiper of God. The Bible tells us, it says that God is seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And so this morning, what we're going to do, we're going to look at actually what worship is and, uh, and what that means to you and why we do what we do on a Sunday morning. You know, as you go through the Bible, you see that worship to God was the main theme throughout the Bible. You know, I mean, from the very beginning to the very end. And uh, it was the main theme of, of humanity worshiping God. And then there was a thing called sin in between. And then we needed a Savior and we needed Jesus to help us to come back to that place where we worship God in spirit and in truth. And even before you and me were born, before this world was formed, the Bible says that the heavens declared, the heavens worshipped God. There was angels who worshipped God. There, there was the skies that worshipped God. The Bible says that if we stop worshipping God, then the very rocks of this earth will cry out in worship unto God. So worship is a big deal with God. In fact, worship is so good. There was this, uh, before this world was ever formed, there was this angel, archangel called Lucifer, who decided he didn't want to give all his worship to God. And he wanted to take some worship from God and start to worship himself. And what happened was that God banished Lucifer from heaven along with a third of the angels. And now you know Lucifer as the devil, Satan. And so worship is a big deal in the kingdom of God. And, the, and if you read your Bible, worship is a big deal. So this morning, we're going to look at why we worship and uh, why we sing songs why we come on a Sunday morning, and why you need to be a worshiper. So what we're going to do this morning, um, where, where's Ken? Where, where's he at? Ken, get over it. 
And uh, so Ken is our worship leader here at Generation Church. Ken's been with us. Um, he's been leading worship for a little over a year. Um, he's been with us probably almost a year and a half now at Generation Church. And uh, he was a, a, an answer to prayer because my wife, Raquel, uh, led worship before. And uh, even though we all love Raquel and she's got this great voice, um, it was stressing me out because she was doing the kids and she was doing the worship. And it was just way too much. And so we prayed, God, send someone to do kids or send someone to do worship. And uh, God sent Ken along. And so Ken is, uh, and, and don't let this go to your head at all, but... But um, Ken is like one of my favorite people in the whole world. He's become a real good friend of mine. Um, and this is why. Uh, I mean, he supports the Redskins, which is bad. He thinks he's good at fantasy football, but he's really not. And, uh, and he thinks he can beat me at golf, and he can't. But, uh, but Ken has this heart of worship for God. Ken is somebody, if you get to know Ken, and he's a bit of a perfectionist at times, and so, you know, he needs to, like, mellow out a little and that. And so, but he has a heart for the kingdom of God. And he is somebody, he will do whatever it takes to tell someone about Jesus, that people who are far away from God to come to, to Christ. And that is his heart. That is the desire. In our leadership meetings, he's always the very first one to always say, hey, guys, we've got to remember, it's not just about gathering on a Sunday morning. It's about, about reaching people for Jesus Christ. I mean, that's just his heart. And I love that in someone who leads our worship on a Sunday morning, that their heart is for the lost. And, uh, and, and, and I love that. And I think he, he does a great job. So what we're going to do this morning, and, uh, and we're going to try to get through this real quick, um, and, and we'll, we'll try not to take too long. But uh, Ken is going to tell you a little bit about his background and um, how he grew up and the work, the kind of what worship was for him growing up. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my background because you'll get to know that we like grew up in polar opposites. You know, we all had the fun. They were like the boring lot. And so, uh, no, I'm only kidding. Um, and then Ken's going to uh, describe to us just a little about what he feels that God wants for Generation Church in regards to worship and uh, kind of our vision for worship. And then, uh, and then I'm going to finish, and I'm going to give you a little theology on what worship is, and we're going to go through a whole lot of Bible verses and uh, stuff like that. So, Ken, just uh, tell us about kind of how you grew up and, you know, what worship was to you. Um, no, I'm not very good at golf, but I'm going to get better at that. Yeah, we're joining a golf league this year. We so. are. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, what Pastor Alex said about heart for the lost and all those things, very, very true. Um, starting at the beginning is um, I was raised in a Southern Baptist church, so I don't know what people know about denominations or, or whatever. I don't really know a lot except for Southern Baptist and because um, I was raised that way. But what, what I know is that uh, it, was, it was great for me as a child. It kept me out of um, a lot of trouble in some, in some instances. Um, but it also, I would call the Southern Baptist denomination uh, pretty conservative. I don't know if it's the most conservative, but it was pretty conservative. Um, so, uh, you know, expressions of emotion or, um, you know, th there were, it was never said in, in my church growing up that, like, dancing would be considered sinful or something. But it was certainly the thought of at least elderly people in my church that, um, loud music or dancing or 
or really any, kind of anything that that you would throw your emotion to would be frowned upon. It was it was looked at as um, a lack of self control, which could be considered um, sinful. So if you had a lack of self control in any sort of of, of aspect, and um, and it wasn't specifically taught, but that was certainly the premise that that I kind of grew up with, um, which made me as the first drummer ever in that church a little bit vilified. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, I was called a devil drummer wow. by a, by a lady once. Yeah, <laughs> um, but so so my background is is Southern Baptist and very very thankful for it. Again, uh, people come to Christ through that church. Absolutely, um, I would not go to a Southern Baptist church again personally. Um, but the things that it kept me from and the things that it l- I learned through there were uh, obviously part of what made me the way I am. So, but that's an interesting kind of um, segue into just my views on worship because it's, as a worship leader, you would think um, that it's, uh, you know, it's something that I'm naturally um, good at. Uh, and while I can naturally sing, the I have to constantly fight my head and my and my heart to extent, to an, to an extent, to to worship the way I think God actually wants me to. I still have the Baptist roots in me saying, tone it down, don't let yourself get too lost in into the passionate side of what worship is. Um, I have that constant, that constant battle. So um, worship is very much a, a matter of the head and the heart, uh, and you need to have both. Um, so I have to use the head aspect of of what I'm what I'm doing to choose to be passionate about um, worshiping. Um, ultimately, if you read the Bible, you will find that worshiping God is is the reason we were created in the first place. I mean that's that's why we were made. Um, so to understand what worship looks like and what that means is is in essence the reason that we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's about who we are before God. Um, uh, I mean, I'm going into a little bit more than just my background. Sure. So, so, so you had this like conservative background. Yeah. So, what then brought you to a place where you know Generation Church and we can be pretty loud and we're not that boisterous, I don't think. But you know. Like we would be all the devil, you know, with just growing up, just because of the way that, the, like, for me, like growing up, also it was drums and guitars. It's like no, you know, it's like. So, what kind of brought you from that to where you are right now? And, and I should also say that my hometown church, Southern Baptist Church, has a contemporary service. I think is what they call it, or whatever. So, I mean, for anyone that's been in church for a while, knows that uh, what in the eighties, I guess is when there was a switch from hymns to what we would consider kind of praise music. And it's it's no different than when they went to hymns one the, you know back in the 1800s or something um, from chants and such like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so kind of getting through all that and then going to college and experiencing different denominations and people that had different views of just what I was used to as a Southern Baptist um, – really kind of open things up. And again, as I, as I read the Bible, um, as I read the Bible about specifically worship, because that's what we were created for, I see, I see two sides 
And I see a little bit of a tension there that is across denominations, but I see two sides. I see very clearly where the Bible speaks about uh, letting letting go, screaming, dancing. Uh, David danced naked. I'm not, I'm not saying do that, but yeah, please um, don't, don't. Yeah, please. Uh, loud instruments, loud sounds, trumpets. I mean, these are it's very clearly in Scripture. Then I also see in Scripture that we are to worship with reverence and in awe. Mm-hmm. That um, we are to fear fear God and be ultimately respectful. Uh, so there, there's a healthy tension, I believe, that is is there within everyone when it comes to worship. Um, and there's a danger in, in falling into worshiping that just becomes um, focused on emotionalism, right. where the, the passion and the emotion is the end result. Mm-hmm. And so the end result of worship should not be emotionalism. It shouldn't be, I'm swept away and this feels good. And so that's why I'm going to lift my hands right. because I like this feeling. There, there's, an, there's an end result there that's not healthy also. Yeah. So that there's a tension that a person that would lead themselves towards emotionalism would need to be very cognizant of, of that mm-hmm. um, and use the head sure. to, to also um, counteract. And you're also supposed to be mindful of others in worship and yeah. you know, how you're affecting their experience. That's, that's biblical as well. Right. Um, but for me, on the other side, the Southern Baptist side, I have to be cognizant of the fact that holding back um, and not being expressive or passionate about the God that made me and that is my everything is, is also sinful. Mm-hmm. That's, not, uh, that's not what I was created for. Right. Um, so on my side of the tension, I need to consciously make an effort to Yes, this this is what I want. This is what I believe. Um, I need to express myself and my love to my God um, and and not use worries of what people might think or my background saying be reserved and be in control. um, Govern me too too harshly. Um, So there's... There's that tension, and that's the side that, that, that I fall on. So, so it's funny you say that because I grew up in a totally different background to what Ken did, whereas I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church where, as Pentecostal churches go, we were very, we, we weren't extreme. And there, there are some Pentecostal churches out there that, seriously, they are swinging from the chandeliers, and it's just like, you guys are just crazy. I don't know. It's, there's something about a Pentecostal church that draws crazy people. And, uh, and so we experienced that growing up. Um, but for us, worship was, was a big thing. But, it, it, uh, but we still had the, we had people when we brought a drum set into church. I mean, it was, they had a board meeting over it, everything. They didn't want an electric guitar, only acoustic guitar. Uh, we couldn't do away with the organ. We still had to have the organ, even though the, the, the music that we're playing just didn't go well with the organ. And so it was just strange. But for us, we never had a worship leader. My dad was a pastor, and he always led worship, and he can't sing. And so you can imagine how that went down. But this was our Sunday morning. We would come in, and if you were uh, um, uh, on the band, if you were, uh, played an instrument, you, had, you couldn't play by just um, uh, music. You had to play by ear. And this is why during Sunday morning service, they play a few songs, then somebody in the congregation would strike up a song. 
And then that everybody starts singing that song. And someone else would strike up a song. And so it was this craziness where people just started singing in the congregation. And it was always the people who just couldn't sing on key or on pitch and stuff. But, but there was this moment, and, and, and it was hard because that's what they believed. Just express yourself through, through music and song. But it was hard because there was a lot of unorderly things that went on at times. And they believed in singing the spirits and all this sort of stuff. And so for me growing up in that, that's what I grew up and I was very used to it. And so you can do whatever you want in church. It didn't, it didn't like shock me at all, even though it shocks Ken a lot of the times. So, um, but, uh, uh, but we grew up and, and I, I always remember thinking, okay, this is good that people are expressing themselves, but God is a God of order. And what we had a lot of the times was people through their worship, when they went over the top, they were drawing attention to themselves and not to God. And, I, and that's one thing about worship. On, on a Sunday morning, uh, if you're in a group of other people, if you are drawing attention to yourself, you're not worshiping God in spirit and truth. If you're, wor- if you're bringing attention to God, then you are. And some people think they're bringing attention to God, but really everyone's just like, man, what the shit? You know, shut that person up. You know, I saw, I saw this week somebody had a tambourine in church and they got tased. I mean, how about that? That's pretty cool. And uh, the, wo- the woman kind of was doing it through the sermon and everything. So they, a police officer came and tased her. So, so if, you bring a, if you bring a tambourine in here, then watch out. No, I'm kidding. Um, and so, so that's kind of what, what I grew up So that my background. So we're very different, our backgrounds. But we've come to a place where we're understanding what real worship is. So. So where do you see worship for for GC? Um, So I just, I wrote down some thoughts last night, and and they they all apply to kind of my my heart for, sorry, here we go, yes, for, uh, (laughs) it's a small room, you can hear me, Uh, for worship anyway, but um, uh, I wrote, what what we love most will determine what we genuinely worship. Um, So one of the points for for New Generation Church is, is, you know, to the person that doesn't worship uh, through music. And that's okay. You don't have to only worship through music. Worship is more than just music. Absolutely. Right. The Bible is very clear that worship is more than just this time of music. Um, but it says that they don't feel led to worship. Uh, there, there is something in everyone's life that they worship uh, regardless. And worship passionately. Uh, sports is an easy example of what gets people fired up. Right. Uh, competition, money winning, uh, sexual conquest. I mean, there's things that everyone has something that they worship right. and they worship passionately. Um, it, but I would, I would say, and the Bible is also, I believe if you read it clear, that you can't love anything correctly unless you love God the most. Uh, if you don't love God the most, your love for all of the other things is a little bit skewed. And that's that's hard to understand if you don't if you don't get that. But um, if that doesn't make sense, I'd love to talk more about that. But pursue scripture. If you don't love God most, you won't love anything else as appropriately as you could. Um, so that's part of my, my hope for Generation Church is that we would love God most, uh, and that I mean that's why you worship because you love God most because right. of who He is, what He's done. Those are the reasons that you worship, and you worship passionately. Um, you know, if you can get fired up, if I can get as fired up when RG3's rookie season takes the Redskins to the NFC East title, 
I better get fired up about what Jesus has done in my life right. or, or things are pretty wrong. Um, then I wrote kind of a generic churchy worship, uh, vision statement, so I apologize that this is, sounds not heartfelt, but it is. <laughs> it's uh, to make intentional times of worship through music that bring glory to God through an authentic and passionate response to the truths of who God is and what God's done. Um, so again, that sounds very corporate and so I'm sorry about that, but that is my heart, to have uh, intentional times, so head and heart, we choose to worship um, because of what God has done and, what he, uh, and who he is, um, and we choose to do so passionately. Um, again, there's, there's a lot. I mean, I could talk about this stuff for, for a long time. Yeah, he I know told me he wanted 120 minutes, so I was like, yeah, yeah we're not getting 120 yeah. minutes. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, will, I will keep it brief, but um, that's... The, in essence, that's what what I want is is to be a part of a church that um, love God loves God the most in their lives, and because of that love, um, there are intentional, passionate times of worship in response to what just God is doing individually in your life. It's not, you know, uh, certainly church helps with that, and God uses church and, and corporate worship times to help people get into a mindset. Um, that I'm talking about, um, but I would love for the people of Generation Church, uh, the ones that would call themselves Christians, uh, to get to a place where you just you love Jesus so completely, you love God so completely, um, that the worship is only a byproduct of right. of what that is, um, the musical worship. Um, yeah. yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. Good, good. Well, what I'm going to do now, and, and Ken's going to step up the, off the stage, but what I'm going to do is is give you a biblical view of what worship is and give you like a theology view. And what this uh, is going to do, I'm going to quickly go through everything because I seriously, we could sit here for like hours upon hours. Um, but that happened in the Bible once and a guy like fell asleep, fell out a window and died. So uh, I, d I don't want that to happen this morning. And so we're going to be very quick. So I would say if you've got a pen or paper, then write some of these down. We're going to go through a lot of scriptures very quickly. And I apologize if it feels like I'm going through too quick. Uh, but the things will be on the screens for you um, and, and, and all that. But I want to describe to you this morning what is worship. What is worship? I love what Ken said is that it's, it's both a heart thing and a head thing. Um, and, and, and I love that. And, and I think he's so true that it is a heart thing, but it's also a head thing. But today I want to I explain to you in the purest sense of, of what worship is and how praise is the result of a heart that is filled with worship. Praise is a result of a heart that is filled with with worship. And, and, and I think the best way to do this, if you don't know, if you haven't like picked up a Bible in the last 30 years, maybe, you know, however old you are, 30, 40, 50 years, you'll, be, you'll find that the Bible is split into two sections, Old Testament and New Testament. And uh, even though they are very similar in their views of praise and worship, uh, they are also very different in their views of praise and worship. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at what the Old Testament says about worship, 
The New Testament says about worship. The Old Testament says about praise. And the New Testament says about praise. To give you kind of an understanding of what worship really is, why we come here on a Sunday morning and we sing some songs, and how it's vital for you, if you're a believer of Jesus Christ, to have a heart that worships God. So the very first thing this morning, Old Testament worship. Old Testament worship. There was a word in the Old Testament uh, that they used, and it was a word called Sahar. And this word Sahar basically meant to bow down, to bow down. So whenever you see in the Old Testament, they talk about worship, they're using this word Sahar, which means to bow down. And there was two contents that they used it in. It was to bow down to, firstly, a superior, someone who was superior to you. Somebody who you were actually lower than and they were higher than you. It was to show that the person in front of you was superior to you. And the very first time that this word or this is used in the the Old Testament was in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 2. And uh, God had come and spoken to a man called Abraham. And this whole experience, he'd experienced God for the first time, and God had given him this promise. And this is what happened. He said, Abraham looked up, and then he noticed, after God had spoken to him, that there were three men standing nearby. And if you read the contents, they were like angels. And Abraham, it says, when he saw them, he ran to meet them, and he welcomed them. And the Bible says, and then he bowed low to the ground. He bowed low to the ground. And, and, and this is used many times in the Old Testament, this, this, uh, this word of bowing down. And what they would do, they would bow down before a king or, or a tribal leader or a leader of a, 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 of a clan. And, and you see many times people would come before King David and they, they would use this word Sahar. They would bow down unto King David. David did it when he saw Samuel. He bowed down before Samuel. And in fact, this word, this word is the word that's used when, if you know Joseph, you know Joseph and his amazing technical dream code and all that stuff. Uh, If you remember Joseph, Joseph had a dream and he dreamt that his brothers would bow down before him. And when he told his brothers, his brothers got really cheesed off because he was basically saying, I had a dream that I'm going to be your superior. And you're going to come and you're going to sahar before me. You're going to bow down before me. So that's the first reason, the first thing that they thought worship was bowing down before superior. But they also went on the, 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 in the Old Testament, the old Hebrew um, words went on, not just to superior, but it was also to bow down before God. Da- bow down before God. And it, in the Old Testament, you would see this practice of, People coming before God. Now, if you've ever seen uh, someone who follows the Muslim faith when they pray, they, they get like on their knees, they get their prayer mat, they get on their knees, and then they bow down towards Mecca. And, and, and basically, like they stick their butt up in the air and, you know, and they bow down. That isn't what that they used to do in the, New Te- in the Old Testament. They didn't bow down like that. In fact, what they would do, they would get entirely on the floor not on their knees, but they would get entirely on the floor, their face to the ground, and they would bow down before God and basically saying, I'm going to get as low as I can before God. And, and Moses actually did this. He did this in, in Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34, 
verse 5 to 8. It says, Then the Lord came in a cloud and stood there before Moses. And he called out to his own, and he called out his own name. And he said, uh, Yahweh, the Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out. And then it carries on, and God says, But I'm Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. And he carries on. And then in verse 8, it says this, Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and worshipped. Moses immediately threw himself to the ground and he worshipped. So he did this act of getting as low to the ground as he could because he was doing this act of Sahar, bowing down before God, saying, God is higher, I am lower. God is higher, I am lower. And that's what the Old Testament believe. That's what they, uh, through the Old Testament, you read through the old Hebrew writings, that's what they believed worship was. It was bowing down before God, saying, God is higher, I'm lower. God is superior, I'm not. That's what they believe. Now, when you move into the New Testament, the New Testament, there's a few different words that they use in the New Testament. And I'm not going to get into all this Greek stuff because it's, I can't say the words and, uh, because I don't speak Greek. Um, and it would confuse you. But there is one word. It's called uh, promeskimu. And it basically means to act in reverence and obedience towards another. So the New Testament believers, they didn't just come and bow down. They now acted in reverence and obedience towards God. And there was four ways that they did this in the New Testament. You go through the New Testament, and there were four ways that, that, that they, this word was used, and they showed worship unto God. And the very first one is found in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 2. And if you remember, that the Magi came to baby Jesus, and they, they, they said this, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose and we have come to worship him. We've come to worship him. And basically, this is what, what they're saying. If you really study the words here, this is what they said. We have come to pay homage and reverence to the newborn king of the Jews. We've come to pay homage and reverence to the newborn king of the Jews. The act of coming in reverence was a New Testament way of worshiping God, coming to God in reverence. It doesn't mean coming to God in like a drunken state, coming to God as, uh, you know, just uh, being disrespectful. And, you know, growing up for us, uh, people in our church took it to the extreme. It's like we couldn't do anything in church. We couldn't take coffee. We couldn't chew gum. We, uh, you know, we had to dress in our best clothes, all because they were trying to bring reverence unto God. And when you bring reverence unto God, it's an act of worship unto God. But also, secondly, it wasn't just reverence and uh, homage and reverence. It was also the, uh, the, uh, for them to stress the feeling of awe and devotion unto God. Stress the feeling of awe and devotion unto God. Jesus said this one time. There was a bunch of Pharisees who said, yeah, I worship God. We're the greatest people at worshiping God. And Jesus said this in Mark chapter 7, verse 7. He said, their worship is a farce. Talking about the Pharisees. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. And what Jesus was saying, he says, they come to God not out of respect, not out of awe or devotion unto God. They just come out of, uh, to God and try to worship God just out of duty and out of just what they think worship is all about. 
And Jesus said, that's wrong. Come unto God with a, with a feeling of awe and devotion. You know, many times in the book of Acts, if you read the book of Acts and you go through the New Testament, you see that there's many times that, that they'll mention someone's name and then they'll say, and that person was a person who worshipped God. That person was a person who worshipped God. And you see different people, they, they, they find faith in Jesus. And it said, and then they went and worshipped God. And what they're saying is they went and led, led a lifestyle of awe and devotion unto God. Everything they did was in devotion unto God. So the New Testament worship was to stress the feeling of awe and devotion. But it also went on. They also believed it was to regularly come and honor God regularly come and honor God. There, there was a situation in the, in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul was, uh, was, uh, was, was arrested and he was put before a governor called Felix. And, and, and this is what he said. Felix basically said, these people have accused you of, of worshiping a God who's not the real God. And this is what Paul says. He says, I admit that I follow the way, meaning I follow the way of Jesus Christ which they, talking about all the other people in Jerusalem at the time, call a cult. But this is what Paul says. He says, I worship the God of our ancestors and firmly believe the Jewish law and everything written in the prophets. And here, the word where he uses for worship is, I regularly give honor to God. And it's the same God as the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And this is why we come every Sunday and sing songs and worship God. Because we're coming as an act of regularly coming and bringing honor to God. It's not like, hey, I just feel like worshiping today. It's, it's the discipline of coming regularly and worshiping God. And then the last way in the, in the, old, in the New Testament that they believed in worship and many times this word uh, w- w- was used, worship, in acts of service to other people. Acts of service to other people. It was the act of giving your best unto God. Not giving your average, but giving your best. And kind of what, what Ken said before was that, uh, that you want to love God the most. Love God the most. And, and worship unto God is coming and bringing your best unto God. You go to some churches and, you know, the band sound awful and the preacher just really is bad. And uh, the kids ministry, there's just stuff laid out everywhere. And you walk in and it's like people are just not bringing their best unto God. They, they, they you know, they come in late and they just do what they want to do, you know, and it's just like they do what they want to do. But here, in the New Testament, worship was bringing your best unto God. There was an example in the, in the Old Testament where there was a guy called Cain who brought a sacrifice unto God in worship unto God, but it wasn't his best, and God rejected it. And the New Testament believers brought, believed in bringing your best unto God. They brought their gifts, they brought their talents, they brought their expertise as an act of worship unto God. And so worship is not a one-time act, but worship is a state of life. It is a lifestyle. It's the decision to bow down to God, to live in a way that God is superior and God knows best, 
And it's the choice to regularly come and pay uh, homage and honor and respect to God. It's using what you have to serve others. So you may ask, well, that's worship, but there's nothing about singing in that. There's nothing about music in that. I don't like music. I don't like church music. Why, why, why do we have to have music in church? Well, there's something called praise. And what praise is, praise is the overflow of what God has done in your heart, and it overflows through your mouth. Remember, the Bible says uh, that the, 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 the mouth basically speaks what's in your heart. What is in your heart comes out of your mouth. And you may say, well, well, can't I just go and like volunteer at a homeless shelter and that's worship unto God, using my, my service unto God. And yeah, that's great to do that unto God, but that's not enough. And as you read the Bible, you realize that worship is the lifestyle, but praise is the response. Praise is the overflow of a life of worship. And we haven't got, got time to go through all these scriptures this morning because our, our time's going. But basically, the word praise in the Old Testament was this. It was a word called halal. And it meant to praise, to celebrate, to sing, and to boast unto God. And there were four ways that they did this. First one, they shouted. They shouted unto God. They shouted unto God. Remember when the, when the Israelites went around the walls of Jericho and the last time they said, God says, give a shout unto God. This was this halal, shouted unto God. There, there, there's a, a psalm in, in, in the Bible. The book of Psalms is, is defined as the book of praises, the book of praises. And in Psalm 148, and we haven't got time to read it, but it's basically saying, praise God, praise him, uh, pray, and let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And the word there is this, shout unto God, shout uh, uh, it says, sun and moon, shout unto God. Stars, shout unto God. Let everything that has breath bring a shout unto God. You know, when we go like to the Raven Stadium, M&T Bank Stadium, we'll shout, right? We'll shout. When, when we, when, uh, you know, when the Orioles, you know, actually do good, like they have last couple of seasons, we shout, right? We shout in praise. When our kids, you know, go and play soccer and they score a goal and we shout, it's exactly the same. We should shout before God because it's the overflow of what is in our heart. Not only that, not just shouting, but also singing and celebrating is the way that this halal, this praise was brought onto God. In Psalm 150, it tells us, it says, basically, praise God. And it says, let everything that has breath sing praises unto God. And the Old Testament uh, um, Jews and the, the children of Israel, they made it a practice to sing regularly unto God. Sing unto God. The third way is just thanksgiving unto God. Thanksgiving unto God. Psalm 122 verse 4 says, says uh, that the people, are, are, or the people of Israel or have come to Jerusalem, come to the temple. And it says this, they've come to give thanks to the name of the Lord. So praise was thanksgiving, thanking God for what God had done. And then the final one in the Old Testament is this, boasting. They boasted in God. It wasn't like a boasting Hey, look at me. I'm the greatest person in the world. It was my God is the greatest. My God is the God of all God. That was their praise unto God. And uh, Jeremiah chapter 9, I love this verse. It says this, chapter 9, verse 23. 
and 24. It says, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom, or the powerful boast in their power, or the rich boast in their riches. But those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me and understand that I am the Lord who demonstrates unfailing love, who brings justice and righteousness to the earth, and that I delight in these things. I, the Lord, have spoken. So they boasted in God. Look look what God has done. And this word halal is actually where we get the word hallelujah from. Now, we're not kind of a hallelujah church, you know? I mean, you go to some church and they're like, you got like the old ladies in the back. They're like, hallelujah, you know? And uh, that was kind of like my church growing up. We did that. But the word hallelujah means praise to the Lord. Praise to the Lord. And the Israelites, they would gather in the sanctuary. They would come together and they would have a regular time, what they called the great halal, the great hallelujah. And it was a time of singing, rejoicing, and celebrating. And that's what we do on a Sunday morning. We come for the great halal, the great hallelujah, the great praise to God. As you come into the New Testament, and I'm going to go through this real quick, but the New Testament, they had lots of different words for praise. And, but what they realized, they realized that praise was the action of worship being in the heart. And so there's a few ways that they praise God. They praise God through giving their testimony. They call it the narration of what God has done in their lives. People experienced God. They went and told others about God. That is praise unto God. That They also brought an offering of their life as a sacrifice unto God. Hebrews 13, 15 to 16 says this. It says, let us, uh, therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God. Uh, and then it says, proclaiming his name, and don't forget to do good and share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. And if you want to worship God or bring praise unto God, then the praise that pleases God is praise that costs you something. It's offering of your life as a sacrifice. And then also it was by singing. The New Testament believers sang unto God. There's a prime example that Paul and Silas were, were in a prison. And they started to sing praises unto God. And you read through the book of Acts and there was lots of singing that was going on. And then finally, they also believed that playing instruments was praise unto God. This is why we, we, why we you know, have a band on a Sunday morning. We have different instruments, playing instruments. And I, I love this verse in James chapter Five, verse 13, you would read this and you would think, well, what's that got to do with playing instruments? And this is what it says. It says, are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Well, actually, when you look at what, what the Greek word really means here, what they use, it's this. If any of you are happy, then you should twang before the Lord. That's what it says. Should strum before the Lord. So, it's biblical to learn the guitar and strum unto the Lord. And so they believed in, in this expression through music and, and through their mouth and telling others about God. Because they believed that what was in that heart would come through their mouth. And so a person who does not praise is probably a person who has never bowed down to God. And when you start to fill your heart with worship unto God, then the great 
halal, the great hallelujah, starts to happen in your life. You can't help but boast in the Lord. To shout it from the rooftops that there is a God in heaven who is worthy to be praised. You know, and as we mature as a church, my prayer is that we become a family of worshipers. People who know how to bow down before God and give their worth unto God. And I think the result will be there will be shouting and rejoicing and singing and dancing and playing of music and giving unto others in sacrifice. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you must be a person of praise. And praise starts with worship. And so as we close today, a couple of questions to ask yourself. Am I someone who's worshiping God in spirit and in truth? Am I letting go of my desires and giving them to God? Am I giving my worth unto God? Not just, just some things I have, but am I giving my worth unto God? And am I sensing God throughout the day? Do, do I go day by day without giving praise and honor and thanksgiving unto God? If that's you, then God desires that you worship him in spirit and in truth.